Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to the second live show of the day, back to back. We'll see if I can survive through uh, all this. It is Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. Tonight, we dive right back into the Dan Markell murder case. Uh, For those who do not know, he is the Harvard-educated FSU law professor gunned down in his Tallahassee driveway back in 2014. Two hitmen and a go-between, a female named Katie Magbanawa, are already convicted of the crime and serving time uh, in prison. The ex-brother-in-law, Charlie Adelson, sits in jail in Leon County, not far from Tim Jansen, but Tim Jansen's house is a little bit nicer than the Leon County Jail. Uh, and He's awaiting trial for murder on October 23rd. That's when it is set to kick off that trial. Uh, we also just got a, a bunch of uh, documents dumped on us, including the state's witness list, which we're going to talk about. Uh, best guess here to discuss it. You know his face well from this case famed Tallahassee defense attorney R. Timothy Jansen, a partner in the firm Jansen and Davis uh, that has handled complex civil administrative and criminal litigation. Uh, He also spent five years as a federal prosecutor. No one knows the Tallahassee legal community like Tim Jansen. Next up, you know her from the Lori Vallow-Daybell trial. Good Lori. Good Lori Hellis is here. She's an author and a retired criminal defense attorney. She moved to Boise, Idaho, maybe regretting that now that fall is coming, uh, to help write her book titled Children of Darkness and Light, which is also the name of her YouTube channel. Her blog is called The Lori Vallow Story. And MIA, uh, and I'm coming, oh, there, no, there he is. There he is. I was just going to say MIA, but there he, is. there he is. John Singer, if you're on your phone, turn it the other way, sideways for me, please, por favor. Um, if you're on your cell phone, John Singer is co-founder of Singer Deutsch LLP, a graduate of the Georgetown Law Center, a super lawyer for 657 years, and he makes regular appearances as a legal analyst for CNBC and a gazillion other uh, media outlets. John, are you hearing us okay? I can hear you fine. Thanks. Awesome. Okay. Um, so we got some uh, document dumps here. Quick reminder so the COE doesn't yell at me. It's a, I'm a poet and I don't even know it. Um, please try to support us on Patreon and or become a YouTube member. Uh, if you can't do that, five stars uh, on Apple, on the audio podcast. That goes a long way and helps us quite a bit. So uh, appreciate that. So um, last week... Uh, Prosecutors revealed uh, the list of evidence and witnesses for that case. And uh, we've got dumped on us uh, a witness list, an evidence list, a defense request for jury uh, questionnaires, a defense motion in limine, a defense motion to suppress wiretaps. We're going to go through this. Uh, Tim Jansen, when I emailed you earlier today and told you about this document dump, you probably already knew about it. Um, is this SOP this far ahead of a trial in Tallahassee that we're seeing, um, you know, these different motions being filed and the different sets of lists that we got? Well, the judge gave pretrial motions a deadline date for them to file them, which would then give the state a chance to respond and then have a hearing on a pretrial. Some of these have to be held pretrial. A lot of judges like to do it during trial, but these motion limines can affect your opening 
that can affect witnesses you're going to call. So you really want to know ahead of time if the judge is going to kick out some evidence or it's not going to be uh, kicked out. These are pretty standard witness lists also. Um, and in most big trials, certainly federal trials, they give you deadlines when you have to file pretrial motions. And they stick to them. Mm. Uh, shout out to a new YouTube member. Love that. Ke uh, Kelly Dragonborn, like that name and uh, like whatever you're drinking there. Uh, followed by this one. Laura became a YouTube member. So uh, loving that. Uh, good Lori Hellis. We know you from Lori Vallow Daybell. Um, and we were talking about this and uh, you have uh, a keen interest. What what has drawn you to the Dan Markell murder case been going on nine years? Uh, why now? What have you found uh, compelling about it? Well, there's several things that are compelling. For one, I did family and criminal law for almost 30 years. And so it's kind of in my wheelhouse. And uh, I'm, I'm interested because of the, the, the conflict originates with an underlying child custody battle, which is a little bit interesting. Um, I, I think it's just the many layers that are involved in this. Uh, a, a very interesting family who seem to be really up in each other's business all the time. And, uh, um, and, and the whole uh, dynamic of a very wealthy family who can sort of throw their, their weight around. And, um, and of, of course, uh, uh, Danny Markell being a, a Harvard educated lawyer and law professor. Um, there's just a lot of it that, that really is of interest to me. Uh, Michelle Salter, look at this. We're getting new YouTube members tonight. I love it. Michelle Salter, thank you. And then we've got Amy and John Singer's original hometown, but now he is, uh, I don't know what happened to the guy. He's like Benedict Arnold. He now lives in New York City. It's a sin for Bostonians, but uh, Amy, we appreciate you. Uh, John Singer, um, we talked about this before, but it has been a long time and you're a frequent guest on this subject matter. And before I knew that you were as big an attorney as you were, you reached out to me on LinkedIn and you said, I'd love to come on and speak about this. And I said, who is this guy? He must be a two bit attorney if he's reaching out to me. And I looked him up and this is when we had no subscribers, by the way. And I find out this guy's one of the bigger power attorneys in all of New York City. So what drew your interest to this case, John Singer? Oh, I mean, so, so many layers that Laurie just uh, alluded to. Um, so many different players from different sides of the tracks. Um, obviously a very compelling story, a very compelling victim. Um, and for me, uh, there, there were lots of similarities I saw. Um, between myself and, and, and Dan Markell. Both of us are lawyers. Both of us went to school in Boston. Uh, he went to Harvard, I went to Tufts, but you know, we, we, he went to a little better school. Uh, we both lived in DC. We both lived in London. Uh, we're both Jewish. Um, so th there were lots of similarities there, but you know, for me, it, it was more the anger and the frustration with the fact that um, when I first came across this story in 2020, um, none of the Adelsons at that time had been charged. And for me, that was just a very bitter pill to swallow. I couldn't, for the life of me, understand it. It was so obvious to even the casual observer that the Adelson family was behind it. The question, of course, was at the time, which ones, but, but certainly Charlie and Donna seemed um, guilty as can be. And 
it just was so disconcerting that they were walking free. It was six years at that time when I first became involved. Um, my interest became peaked in the case. So um, all the reasons Laurie cited and, and all the additional reasons I just mentioned um, led me to really become a, a very obsessed follower of what's happening here. And we're going to have um, the trial in a few weeks. So I, I know that everyone who's followed this case has been waiting anxiously um, for this phase of the case to begin, the Adelson phase. And I just told Meve Moen, otherwise known as Steve Cohen, who I was hanging out with at CrimeCon, that uh, he's got to build up. These are the best guests, but we've got an entire trial. So he's building up that stable of guests so we can mix you guys all around and mix and match you and uh, get the best coverage possible for this trial. Retired RN, Joel, the STS team rocks. I don't know how you keep up with so many cases. Either, either do I. And so many shows each week, you have the best channel and best guests. Um, definitely use a little support on Patreon and YouTube, the COE pushing me to push you. So uh, appreciate that. It is a tremendous amount of work and uh, it's weird. I always feel like I'm never working, but I'm always working. So it's uh, it's that Jewish guilt, John Singer. Uh, if I'm not working as hard as John's, you know what though? I bet John Singer works less than me. He makes it look easy though. He makes it look easy. Um, smart chopper here. I have no clue about whatever case they are speaking about. Are they going to discuss Suzanne? Uh, you are two hours late. I guess you must be in Colorado is my guess, but we just did an entire show on Suzanne Morphew. It was really interesting. We had a former uh, state prosecutor there, Jeremy Lowe, who was very knowledgeable. Uh, check it out. It is on YouTube currently, and right now we're discussing Dan Markell, the FSU professor who was murdered in his driveway not over nine years ago. Finally, we're about to see if they get justice uh, in the way of ex-brother-in-law Charlie Adelson, who is going to be on trial uh, for murder. Shout out to Asian American Legal Focus. Welcome and big thanks to Lori for coming to talk about the Mark Kell case with John, Joel, and Tim. Uh, if you don't follow Asian American Legal Focus, she's uh, on top of this case from day one. And even she's got an I Love Judy here from Baby Doll. There you go. So let's break this down systematically, uh, starting with the witness list. And on that list are a couple names, Tim. Uh, that have the same last name, Wendy Adelson, Donna Adelson, Harvey Adelson, and Rob Adelson. And by the way, Rob is the other brother. He sort of distanced himself, and he's basically estranged from the family. Uh, he believes, uh, you know, I think that they did uh, coordinate to commit this murder of Dan Markell, and he is again, basically separated himself from the family. But um, Tim Jansen, uh, when you see these four Adelsons, Wendy, Donna, Harvey, Rob, what jumps out at you in terms of uh, the job the state has in front of them and the defense? Just because they're on the witness list doesn't mean they're going to be called. Okay. You can go to a grocery store with a big long list. That doesn't mean you're going to buy everything on the list. You go there and you see the prices. You say, no, I'm not going to do it. You listen to the witnesses. Your investigator goes, talks to them again. And then say, ah, that's not a good product. We're not going to put that on here. They only put it on there just in case. A lot of times, just in case to fill some holes, Georgia's got to make sure that in case the judge does grant a motion to suppress or a motion in limine, that she may need to fill in some of these holes in her case. She might have to call one of these people to the stand. She certainly doesn't think she's going to get favorable testimony from any of the Adelsons. So while they're on the list, I expected them because if you don't put them on, then you can't call them. 
it's easy, it's no harm, no foul if you don't call them. So I don't think just because they're there, I've been to trials, I see all these witnesses, and I'm like, oh, God, we got another week. And then the government says government rests, which is not unusual, like the defense does all the time. And we're going to get back to that witness list in a second, but we got a question for John from Roxanne A, STS Nation, best guest, better community. John, when Katie finally tells what her attorneys did and the Adelsons paid for them, this is speculation here, uh, what happens to those attorneys, John, if in fact that would be true? Well, I think th- there was a motion um, before uh, the late Judge Hankinson regarding who paid for those attorneys. I know there's been a lot of speculation about whether or not the Adelsons had paid for Tara Kowas and Krista Coase for those two trials, but there, there was a hearing in camera before the judge and uh, certain evidentiary proof was offered to Judge Hankinson, and he was satisfied that the money had not come from the Adelsons. We, we, we knew... Um, that Katie Magmanua um, had a, a a mother who had passed away. She had some retirement savings, but we also knew that she had a sister-in-law um, who had bet, who had embezzled um, over $1.3 million from her uh, former employer. So perhaps the money came from one of those two sources. But Judge Hankinson had, had considered this issue. Um, he heard or saw the evidence in camera and was comfortable that the Adelsons were not funding um, the, the defense. Um, one thing, Joel, I want to pick up on on what Tim said. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything Tim said, but just, just one caveat to that, which is that when you put witnesses on a witness list, you're, you're doing it so that you're preserving your right. And in the event that you need to call them, you have to have listed them or you've waived your right. The, the one downside, though, is, is that um, when there's certain witnesses you don't call, the other attorney on the on the opposing side will try to make hay out of that in front of the jury. So, for example, if Katie Magmanua, who's listed as a state's witness, isn't called, then you would expect Rashbaum to argue before the jury in closing, hey, you know, they had her on the list. She obviously couldn't corroborate anything. She obviously couldn't point the finger at Charlie. So you sort of have that negative inference argument. So that, that's the only quibble I would have with what, what Tim said, that, that there is a small downside that the other attorney can make some uh, hay out of your failure to call that witness. Uh, that is interesting. I did not know that. Uh, Go Georgia, as in Georgia Kappelman, uh, the prosecutor in this case, this is not the real Go Georgia, but maybe it is. I don't know. She's asking if we're going to be at the trial. And uh, we're going to be at the trial for the first couple of days and then maybe for closings as well, but certainly for the first couple of days. And by the way, Ruth Markell is going to be speaking on October 25th in Tallahassee. If anyone is interested in signing copies of her book, The Unveiling, uh, that will be interesting uh, for anybody who is interested in that. And this, by the way, is Ruth Markell's son, Dan Markell, uh, the very uh, successful and up and coming, uh, you know, legal mind who is teaching at FSU at the time of his uh, of his death. So that is Dan Markell. Um, to you, Lori Hellis, um, what what do you have to say about this witness list? There's other names on there that, that are of interest, but just Wendy, Donna, and Harvey, the three big Adelsons there. Rob is sort of uh, an outlier, but, um, you know, do you expect, to Tim's point, that they will actually all be called? Well, it's really hard to say. Um, 
let's remember that during the Murdoch trial, they had well over 200 witnesses on their list and called 65. So, you know, it's not unusual at all, to John's point. You can't call them if you don't have them on your witness list. Um, I suspect that they will avoid um, putting... Now, Wendy has already testified, at least in, in a in an offer of proof, I think. I, I just watched that testimony. Um, so she's already, there are already some sworn statements on the record from her. Um, but the other two, I, I think you're going to run up against some Fifth Amendment issues if, in fact, Donna looks like she may be liable for some charges. So, I mean, I would be surprised if, if they were to call Donna and Harvey, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them call, uh, uh, God, remind my, my Wendy, right. Wendy, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say Amy, that wasn't right. Uh, Wendy, uh, because she, they do already have some testimony on the record from her. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a long day. It's been you a know, long Joel, year. If you put a witness on the list, they can't sit in the, in the courtroom and watch and That's support. Right her husband or their son. A lot of times prosecutors will do that. You're not supposed to do that, but they always say I might need to call them, which prevents them from sitting there and supporting their, their loved one. John, do you think that uh, if they were not on the witness list, do you think that, uh, that Donna and Harvey would be there supporting Charlie and Wendy? What do you think? I don't know. I mean, that's that's a great question. Um, they haven't come to any of the hearings. They didn't come to the Arthur hearing. Um, they haven't come to any of the status conferences. So I'm not sure because the media obviously has speculated and so have the prosecutors about Donna's involvement, certainly. Um, uh, so I'm not sure they're going to want to draw that sort of attention to themselves. And I'm not sure they'd be able to handle it emotionally and psychologically, especially when fingers are going to be pointed at them, certainly in the opening statement. Um, I will say that I don't think either will be called to testify. And I think Wendy will 100% be called to testify. They, they need Wendy to get the divorce filing in, which of course establishes the motive. The motive was to relocate Wendy and the children. So they need Wendy for that purpose. And in addition, you know, and, and we can sort of get into the motion to suppress and the motion in limine, there's some hearsay objections that have been made and will be made. Um, but if you have Wendy there, that vitiates uh, some of the arguments that can be made because she'd be testifying in court as opposed to offering an out-of-court statement. So she's critical. She's critical for the hear for hearsay purposes. She's critical for the motive. They, they need her there. And she will be there. Uh, Tim Jansen, back to uh, Asian American Legal Focus and Judy Sang, friend of the show. Uh, question for you, Tim Jansen. Do you think we've been talking about it, but she's uh, point blank asking you, do you think it's likely Donna and Harvey will really testify? They both appeared on the state's and uh, Charlie's witness list. Thank you. What do you say? I think that Wendy will testify. I don't think Donna. I don't think Harvey. And I don't think Katie will testify. How come? Well, tell me about Donna, Donna and Harvey. How come? Donna's not going to testify. She'll take the fifth. Her lawyer will take the fifth. Harvey is, is a lot more distanced on everything. 
I think Harvey, if anybody was going to go attend the trial, might have been Harvey uh, because he's not linked so closely to everything. Donna, she was paying salary to Meg Bonawa. She was having these phone calls with Charlie and the bump. So she's inter- she's involved. She's an undicted co-conspirator. I haven't seen Harvey listed as an unindicted co-conspirator. Uh, he may be, but I don't remember seeing that. Um, I do not think that Katie's going to be a witness in this case. And I uh, think Anne, if, if she is, I think it's because the government's case is in trouble. Angela says, I love that John Singer is obsessed like the rest of us, LOL. Even high-powered attorneys are obsessed with criminal cases. John Singer you were going to say something right there. By the way, I love this name, Leisha Gallegos. Great smile. Wow, Joel, sending good mojo from Colorado. Again, we just wrapped up a Suzanne Morphew uh, show. What a wild story that is. And uh, if you haven't been following it, she's a mom that went missing on Mother's Day in 2020, and they just found her remains. Uh, they were pinning it or thought the husband was responsible. Most people still do. But what was interesting is when they found her remains, uh, there was an other set of remains either with her or right nearby. So that kind of throws a weird curveball because no one would have suspected the husband of having killed a second person. But uh, that case, uh, again, uh, another point to show that uh, fact is in fact stranger than fiction. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, who was I cutting off? John, did you have a comment to make there? Yeah, just on 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 Magmanua and whether or not she'll be testifying. And I, I know that lots of um, followers of of this podcast and lots of followers of the case are clamoring for her to testify. They they think that it would be a great thing for the prosecution to fill in some blanks and to give some of the granularity to the conspiracy. I, I can't emphasize enough how much of a mistake it would be for the prosecution to call her. The defense is is so hoping that she's called so they can create a sideshow and they can create a trial within a trial and they can focus the jury on her perjury and her lies. And no matter what rehabilitative work you could do with her um, as a witness from the state standpoint, it's still going to be such a focus of rash bounds that, that I'm really hoping, and I think everyone should hope that once uh, justice here and that wants to see Charlie uh, found guilty that she's not called. The case is so strong um, with all the other evidence that exists. Bringing up, bringing Magmanu on the witness stand would really create such a sideshow, such a distraction. It would really be welcomed by Rashbaum. So I'm hoping and that she's not going to be called and I don't think she will be. But John, why did they, there's a notice to transport her uh, to Leon County. Why? If they're not gonna I, uh, that, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't know the answer to it. Um, they may want, you know, again, there's a lot of gamesmanship that goes on between the lawyers. The prosecution may want to bring her um, in the hopes that perhaps Charlie will be more amenable to trying to cut a deal or to throw Charlie off or to throw Rashbaum off, make him do more work, make him spend 20 hours or 30 hours parsing through all of Magmanua's prior testimony to try to create an outline and divert him. There's a lot of gamesmanship that goes on. It, it may be for that purpose. It, it sounds cynical, and um, but I've seen it happen before where you put someone on a list, you take those steps to get them um, to trial via subpoena, or in this case, a transport to Leon County. 
You never intend to call that person. But what you've done is you've made the defense spend oodles of time preparing for something that may not come to fruition. I'm, I'm curious as to what Laurie um, and Tim think about why she was transported and what, what you think the, the reason for that was. Laurie? Well, I agree. It could be a tactic. Um, it also, a, a cautious practitioner is always going to say, just in case. Um, what came to my mind was, um, what happens if the motion to suppress or some portion of it gets granted and suddenly that really strong case with all those knockout telephone conversations don't come in, then they may, they might be forced to call her in spite of it. I, so I, I, it seems I, to me like belt and suspenders, they're being extra cautious, but. I, I think she may be necessary depending on the court's rulings on the motion in limine and the motion um, to suppress. Because Katie might be able to authenticate portions of the transcript and the tape that they've already filed a motion to motion in limine because it's inaudible and no one's been able to authenticate the comments or the context. Now, if we all know that Katie's a, a danger witness, and if you only call her to authenticate a conversation, then that cross-examination loses a lot of its luster. So what I'm thinking is if Georgia puts her on, it's because she got an adverse ruling from the judge on some of these pieces of evidence she wants introduced. Uh, Roxanne A., uh, this one for Singer. Rob will be called for sure. Do you agree with that, John Singer? Before you answer that, do you think Wendy, Donna, and Harvey watch this podcast, not because of me, of course, but because we're talking about this subject matter? Or do you think that they are so, I don't know, uh, fearful of what lurks uh, with with the Dan Markell name that they stay as far away as possible? What are your thoughts on that? I think Donna watches it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't Hi, think, I, I don't know about Harvey. I don't think Wendy does. I know Rashbaum does. But mm -hmm. um, as far as Rob goes, uh, the, the problem with Rob is he has nothing to offer as far as evidence. It's all conjecture. We, we heard on the over my dead body podcast um, that I think piqued a lot of our interest in this case that um, Rob all but said that um, he believed his family was behind it. When Wendy testified in the last trial in May of 22, she testified that she hasn't spoken to Rob um, in years and had nothing to do with um, the fact that his parents had tried to interfere or intervene with, you know, the first marriage that was annulled. Um, the, the, the negative inference there was that um, she didn't speak to him because he basically had fingered the family and said that they did it. All, all, he all but said it without saying it. Um, so Rob can speculate, but that, that testimony is not admissible. Um, Rob has no evidentiary, he has no hard evidence to offer up. It's just conjecture and that's not going to fly. That's not going to be introduced. Uh, what's up, Windsor? Uh, the dog lives, Windsor lives better than 98% of Americans, human and dogs, uh, just up in his little chair there. I love Windsor looking good. Um, fancy fiction has entered the house. Uh, for those who do not know, uh, fancy fiction, uh, is, uh, the boss when it comes to this. And she's got a YouTube channel fancy with an eye. Check it out. There she is as a cute little baby. I think 
Uh, that's her. I think so. Uh, Jerry Conway says something we all know that John Singer is a smarty. Yes, he is. He used a word earlier. I can't remember what it was, but I know that I had never heard of that word. I think it was a legal term, um, but I don't know what the word was. And if I can remember it, um, I will ask him what that word meant, because my mother always says, ask if you don't know. Uh, back to Asian American legal focus. Do you think the new judge is going to have enough time to make rulings on the motions on October 20th when jury selection is to begin October 23rd? You can tell Judy is a lawyer. Tim Jansen, uh, your response to Judy's question here. Yeah, the new judge, Judge Everett, he'll he'll make time. Um, they are limited. It's a little different in state court than federal court. Um, they don't like to go over and make the clerks and security work late because they don't have contracts for that. The only ex exception is if it's in a trial and the jury is out. So he can't go late, but uh, Judge Everett will try to get it all done. Um, he's one also that doesn't rule from the bench. When you have a motion and he always says, I'll take it under advisement and issues a, a written a written order. So that's going to be interesting to see. Mm. Uh, Bonnie Lee Lopez, John, do you still think uh, Donna and Wendy are going to be charged. I, I, I do with respect to Donna. I, I just, it's very hard for me knowing the evidence the way I know it um, and knowing how Donna was such an integral part of this conspiracy that they could just stop after they get a guilty verdict of, of Charlie. Now, this, is, this may be more my hope than my belief, um, but it, it, to me, Donna, you know, has she's been named as a co-conspirator. She was named dating back to 2016. There's so much evidence against her. Tim referred already to the fact that, you know, she signed the checks to Magmanua um, on the wiretaps, which I do not think will be suppressed. I think the wiretaps will be introduced. They've already been ruled on twice by two prior judges that they're admissible. I don't see a third judge reversing course. And those wiretaps are a killer for Donna, as are the flurry of calls, the, the pattern of the phone calls, Donna to Charlie, Charlie to Katie, Katie to Sigfredo. So I, I do think she'll be charged. Wendy is trickier. I mean, we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum here that there's a lot that points to Wendy's guilt. There's some things that, that perhaps point to her innocence. Um, ultimately, she'd be the hardest case to prove. Um, so I, I'm not hundred percent sure on Wendy. I'd like to think that Don is going to be charged. I, I love this comment from misdemeanor. OG. does guess John singer actually sing. He doesn't really need to do anything with that face. There you go. Um, Lori Hellas, um, Katie Magbanawa, she is uh, in prison for life. Uh, she is the intermediary. And then you've got Luis Rivera, one of the two hitmen who copped a deal and is only serving, I think, 19 years. And Sigfredo, who's in – stop barking there, Windsor. We're a dog-friendly show. And Sigfredo Garcia. There's never, yeah, there's never a show without a dog barking. We're a real professional outlet here. Um, what's, what's Windsor all worked up about? So Sigfredo – My other dog, George. Oh, sorry. I never, we never, we've never even seen George. Um, Sigfredo Garcia, of course, is uh, the other hitman serving life. Um, so these three are also on the uh, witness list, Lori, the three bad guys and woman. Um, are we going to hear from all three of them, do you think? Mm, I, I doubt it. 
Um, I, I don't know what value they would have. I, I mean, they can be there. They're, the fact that they were have already pled guilty is going to be a fact that'll come into evidence. But uh, I don't know that they can add anything beyond uh, uh, beyond that because Katie was the intermediary. I I haven't seen anything that indicated that either one of them had any direct contact with Charlie. So I don't know. Um, I I'm probably not as well versed in the facts as as our your other two guests are. So they may know something more than I do about it. Yeah. Well, so, John, here's a quote I plucked from uh, Lewis Rivera. Uh, Katie is a woman in the middle doing everything. Rivera tells detectives it's all because of Katie, man. She had Sigfredo Garcia crazy. She would go cheat on him and she would tell him, if you want me back, you have to go do this. Um, are they going to put him on the stand so they can talk oh, to him about this stuff? A hundred percent. I mean, they have to put him on the stand. R Rivera, I mean, he's the he's he's one of the keys to the whole case. It's here's the thing. We all know the story. Right. And I and I'm sure that jurors who get um, impaneled for the Charlie's trial will know the story. They may say on the questionnaires they don't. But if they're unless they've been living under a rock, they'll have some sense of it. But the prosecution has to go through the whole case again as if it's the first time they've this. They've got to assume that this jury knows nothing. They've got to prove they're going to have to put on the neighbor, Jim Geiger. He's on the witness list mm -hmm. to testify about the gunshot, how he heard the gunshot. They have to put on the medical examiners. They have to put on um, Rivera to talk about how the murder was effectuated. They have to put on Jessica Rodriguez to talk about the money drop. They have to do everything they did in both cases, both Magmanua 1 and Magmanua 2. But they have to do more here because they have a different defendant in this case. So they're going to have Rivera is critical. Without Rivera, you can't prove there was you can't prove the murder took place. Rivera also um, is good for the motive in addition to uh, the divorce filing and and. Donna's caustic emails in the sense that Rivera has testified that the lady wanted her kids back. That's what his, that's his famous quote on the witness stand. The lady wanted her kids back. Now we don't know what lady she's referring to because I've always stated from the get go, this was done primarily for Donna and secondarily for Wendy. Donna's essentially a co-parent. So it's hard to know what lady, but you know, that's very compelling uh, testimony from Rivera. Let's hope he's better than he was last time. He was much sharper in 19 than he was in 22. You know, Lewis is getting out in three years, and this case might not even be resolved by the time he gets out of federal prison. Is he getting out that soon? Three years. Wow. Um, yep. how, how much of his sentence is he serving then? Because I thought he was sentenced to 19. Well, he gets 85% in Fed. Wow. Um, wow. But his my investigator, Monica, is going to go meet with him, but He's definitely testifying, and um, oh, yeah. he gets out in three years. Yeah, Monica Jordan, uh, boy, that guy's getting out. That's crazy, and he lives near me. I got to be careful. Uh, LJ Lewis, I don't have anything against you. Just remember that if you're listening to this. And in, in, in the you know, Garcia link. had conversations with Charlie though. They kind of yeah. had a little dust up mm. at one point. Um. Tim, you got to rebut this from LJ here since you're a defense attorney. He says, disagree. 
I would not be surprised to see Georgia call all three of the Adelsons in a narrow strategic fashion, just as they did Wendy the last two trials. So, Tim, uh, your response, by the way, real quick. Thank you, MC Spunky, giving us a super sticker. Go ahead, Tim. Georgia's been doing this long enough. She's not taking chances. You're not going to put somebody up there that could could throttle your case if you don't have a big benefit. I doubt they haven't even talked to these people. Remember they went to the funeral and they were supposed to be interviewed and then they left town? They've never even interviewed Donna or Harvey. Well, you never put a witness on the stand. You don't know what they're going to say. That's that's not a trial lawyer. That's a magician and a fool. Mm. That's a great quote right there. That's a magician and a fool. Uh, Brianna says, it's a great question. Great question. Why would Charlie Laurie have a motive to kill Dan to get the kids back that he never had? Um, Well, this is, this, this is, um, there's so many parallels with this case and a couple of other ones. I think about uh, the Piketon massacre and the, and the mother that was uh, the grandmother that was so overly involved in the custody of the grandchildren that they ended up killing the birth mother's whole family. Uh, and, and the other one is the parallel with Lori Vallow and her brother who would have done anything for her. So uh, I, I, I think it didn't, it wasn't for Charlie. It wasn't about getting Wendy's kids back to her. It was about defending Wendy and about Wendy being able to do what she wanted to do, which was to move out of town and, and get the kids away. Um, Angela wants to know, Tim, are you going to be in the courtroom to watch this trial? You're in Tallahassee. We're coming up there to see you, Tim. Yep. I will be certain days if I'm not in court. And I thought we were going to do a show from my office. You know, we can do that. We're definitely doing that. Thank you to Mark and Tom. (laughs) I want to go sit in the war room. Uh, Marking time says off topic for just a second. I've been catching up on SDS episodes. If you haven't seen them yet, the canine show was wonderful. I learned a lot too. And the crime con live made you feel as if you were there. The COE put together a crime con best of it is living live on YouTube right now. Check it out. You can see Carm signing autographs. we got to get uh Jansen. Lori was there. I met her in person. Got to get singer down there in Nashville for the June one, May one. And, uh, I had three dogs on the show to discuss how they captured Danilo Cavalcante. So, um, Check that show out, the Canine Show as well. Uh, thank you for that. So among the evidence, I'm going to click this and click off of this. Uh, this is uh, some of the evidence. More than 50 photos from the crime scene, autopsy and surveillance cameras, including one of Wendy Adelson and the trigger man, that is Sir Sigfredo Garcia. More than 30 documents, including call logs and financial statements. A receipt for McBanawa's breast implant surgery is included. John Singer, what stands out to you about the uh, mountain of evidence that they have uh, that they're going to enter into this trial? I, I think it's a pretty generic um, listing of the evidence that which is all that's required. You certainly have to give it by category, and it's again, it's the same stuff we've seen. Um, we've seen the photos in the last two trials. Uh, we saw the surveillance footage. We heard the wiretaps. We saw and heard the Dolce Vita recording. We saw the phone records. We saw and heard from the financial expert, Mary Hull, about the Adelson's net worth and their 18 different brokerage accounts. We heard about 
Magmanua's uh, breast implants and how that was uh, likely paid for by some of the fruits of the head. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a redo in many, many ways. And um, it's interesting in the sense that if the motions that were filed, the motion in limine and the motion to suppress, Rashbaum had obviously watched the last two trials and knew what the most damaging pieces of evidence were as well as what the most damaging testimony was. So you can see his thought process. He wants certain evidence suppressed and he wants certain testimony suppressed before it's even been offered. Um, He doesn't want Jeff Lacasse to testify that Wendy told him um, that Charlie had looked into hiring Hitman the prior year. He doesn't want Junim Chinda to testify that Donna had told her at the Adelson's apartment that she felt like Danny was haunting them from the grave. So he, he's already picked up on what he thought was damaging testimony. Same stuff we all thought, right? We, we knew what resonated the most. And of course, he wants those wiretaps and the Dolce Vita recording out of evidence. They're, they're fatal to Charlie. So um, again, they've already, they've been ruled admissible already. Um, Dolce Vita was ruled admissible by Judge Wheeler Judge Wheeler said the transcript wasn't. We'll see what this judge does with the transcript. And the wiretaps came into both of the last two cases. So there's no reason to believe that this judge is going to reverse course, um, no matter how compelling the arguments were that Rashbaum made in his legal briefs. um, There's no reason to think that there's going to be a 180 by this judge. But, But, John, on some of these pieces of evidence, there was no objections from the prior case because it didn't go to their client. So the judge didn't even make a ruling on some of these motion and liminees. And so I think he has some good points to argue on some of these motion and limine. Well, what I, what I would say on that, I think, I think on the wire, on the wiretaps and on the Dolce Vita recording, those were terrible for Katie. So th- they did try, Tara Kawas certainly tried to keep those out. So th- those have been ruled on already yeah. by prior judges. Now, what the hearsay objections, you're absolutely right. right. They had absolutely no vested interest, Katie's lawyers, in keeping the stuff out about Charlie hiring the hitman. Because keep in mind, their theory, as ridiculous as it was, and they never offered any proof of it, was that Charlie did this directly with Sigfredo. Right. Katie's lawyers told the jury in opening statements in the 22 trial that they were going to offer proof to show a direct linkage between between uh, Charlie and Sigfredo, and they never did. Classic error you never make as a lawyer. It's lawyer 101. Don't promise the jury something you're not going to deliver on. So they they you're right, Tim. They had no interest in keeping some of that testimony out. In this, and they have good hearsay objections. The question is, what will this judge do with them? Hmm. Uh, Eric Bonomo, a super sticker here. I'll throw it to Tim. Uh, do you think the Snapchat, uh, WhatsApp text between Wendy and Charlie can be retrieved? There's been a lot of talk about that. Uh, would we even know that by now, Tim? You would, because it would be on the evidence list. It would be turned over and there would be a motion in limine <laughs> or a motion to suppress by um, Daniel. But it's not on there. And if it's not on the witness list, it's not coming in. Hmm. There you go. There's your answer. Uh, 
Tim Tim Sargent with a ten dollar super sticker. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Followed by Nora Levine. Lest you think we are not a global show, as if that was not enough. Challenger is coming to us from Thailand, so we cover the globe here. Um, MC Spunky, thank you. Um, I think I brought that one up, Bugs, but uh, here we are, COE. She just wants to see her name and the lights again. Um, but thanks, MC Spunky. Brianna says, Harvey could be called by the defense. Lori Hellis, you're a formal, former criminal defense attorney. What do you think of that? Well, I'm I'm a little mystified as to what Harvey could offer in terms of defending Charlie. Um, I, I'm a, I, I'm a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, I could see if he had a way to refute some of perhaps the financial information because he was involved in the business with Charlie. But it seems to me that the financial records clearly show money going out to Katie. And and so I don't know that there's a lot that Harvey could offer on the defense side. Mm. Uh, Teresa from the Republic of Ireland is a panel. John think that Charlie's going to testify in his, she spells defense funny. That's how you know she's from the Republic of Ireland. Uh, do you think he's going to testify? We talked about this last time. I do. I, I, I'm, for, I'm very convinced that he's going to testify because um, assuming that the rulings are consistent um, from the prior trials vis-a-vis um, the admission of the Dolce Vita recording and the wiretaps, um, there's just a lot of evidence against him and he's got one chance to save himself. And, you know, we can all, we, we've heard him for, I mean, I've heard all the wiretaps that Fancy posted and, um you can sort of get a, a, a picture of him and get a sense as to who he is. And there's an arrogance and there's a confidence to him. And I think he thinks that he can delude some jurors. So um, I think he has to testify. I think he's going to want to testify. I'm sure Rashbaum is going to do his best to prevent him from doing so. But at the end of the day, it's his call. It's Charlie's call and he's in charge and he's the client. And I think he's going to testify and it's going to be, some very compelling um, courtroom theater for all of for all of us to watch. It's going to be um, it's going to be some powerful stuff, and I, and I do think he will testify. Charles in charge, Tia for you, Tim. Uh, if the Adelsons were not behind any kind of financial support to Katie, what possible reason could she have had uh, not to give up the Adelsons? It's got to be linked to money. Do you agree, Tim? It could be many things other than just money. It could have been fear for her family, her children. It could have been financial support promise for her children. Um, it could be that her lawyers convinced her awkwardly that they thought they had a good case, um, lack of control, um, or she just couldn't admit it. Um, so we don't really know. But clearly, if I have a client that's offered immunity, you know, my client's going to take it. Um, and when I did have immunity, my client took it and he got immunity and the wife was convicted. Um, so that I, I still, it's hard for me to imagine that her lawyers didn't have her consider the immunity that was offered to her. I mean, it's hard to turn down immunity. You know, we get clients all the time. They got felony sex cases and they're going to be a convicted felon, go to prison, sex offender forever. And then they get an offer of a misdemeanor battery. 
And then you want to, how do you take that chance of going to trial and losing when you got a sure thing? And have we had to beat people to take them? Not beat them, but we certainly had client control that you lose, your life is pretty much over. It's a battery charge. You could possibly seal it. You have a chance. So, uh, by the way, yeah, misdemeanor and Judy D both saying Charlie will not testify going against the great John Singer's uh, feeling on this. Robin Ray says, uh, can Rashbound, the defense attorney, call Katie Magbanawa, uh, uh, Lori? Uh, how does it work in court once that witness list? I mean, can the defense call her? I don't I don't recall whether she's on the defense list or not. I, I'm assuming on the, not. On the state's list, yeah. She's on the state's list. Um, again, I'm not sure what, what value it would have. I, I guess, can they, if they put her on the witness list, should they? Probably not. So I, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure whether the question is, under the rules, can they? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, should they maybe is the, the better question. And um, it doesn't seem to me like she would be able to offer a lot. Uh, it would go against all the benefit they have. Right. The defense calls versus the government, because then you can say that's how weak the government's case was. They had to call this convicted murderer, right. liar and perjury. That's how. Right. And, and he wants them to call uh, Katie. Yeah. I believe that Charlie will testify also. Okay. There you go. You got two powerhouse attorneys saying uh, that Charlie will testify. Uh, I'm going to defer to them since I know nothing and they know a lot more. So uh, Cookie Ram Law says, uh, John, to you, Don and Wendy not being charged uh, yet. Don't the legal experts think that this works against the state, that they're not charged? Also, Rashbaum has such a likable personality, uh, worried that he could win the jurors over. That's a scary thought. Um he is a pretty affable guy. What do you think about this? So uh, on the first point, I, I thought that it was um, it, there was danger in the prosecution not charging Charlie. And I think that they did so in advance of the second trial, because I think that they saw that having no Adelson there when they had the quote unquote low hanging fruit was just not a good look. Right. It was from a from a. Uh, from an optic standpoint, I don't think it was a good look to have the Adelsons free and have these lower rung folks, um, you know, on trial for their lives, Sigfredo and Katie. So I'm glad the prosecution charged Charlie. I think that made a big impact. However, I don't think having Charlie up there and not the other Adelsons is going to undermine the prosecution's case. Georgia will make it very clear, as she did in, in the first um, Magmanua Garcia trial in 19 that if there are other people out there and there are other, you know, that will be for another time in another place. So I, I don't think one bit that will undermine the case. As far as Rashbaum, you know, it, it is an issue. Um, him being affable um, at the end of the day, is that going to get Charlie a acquittal? No. Um, but you know, it is always a fear of mine when, when I'm dealing with a really nice adversary and someone who's going to come across well to a jury, it, it gives me more pause than when I'm dealing with someone who I know is going to be either prima facie unlikable or just neutral. But at the end of the day, that affability you see and, and how genial he's been so far and deferential, when you get into the heat of battle, 
and the wind starts blowing against him and all the evidence starts to come in and he gets objections um, not sustained and, and he gets rulings not in his favor, that affability may, may start to recede a little bit as well. So it's a, it's a minor concern. At the end of the day, it's not going to carry um, an acquittal. Uh, Angela, also, go ahead, Lori. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I also think that um, the prosecution is using something of a strategy in going after the low-hanging fruit first, because what they're doing is is establishing things that can't be undone, establishing facts on the record in sworn testimony, and then being able to build on those like building blocks. So it, it seems to me, and the other thing is going after Charlie, I, I think they were hopeful that going after him, if he is the protective sort, would um, trigger him to say, well, I'll take the fall and and not give up mom or, or Wendy, or that he might roll over on them. So, I mean, there's always that sort of using, trying to use some leverage in, in charging in stages in, in order to turn up more evidence as well as leverage into other, other pleas. So. Those are good points. Interesting to, to think about what they're thinking. Uh, Tim, to you Mm -hmm. uh, from Angela, Sigfredo Garcia, the trigger man is on the witness list. Do you think the state uses him? Absolutely will be called as a witness. Um, why, why are you so sure? Tim? Well, I think Sigfredo has been trying to get a deal for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, after there was a hung jury and after Adelson got charged, a couple of lawyers ran to Georgia and were trying to talk to Georgia. And I can't think of anybody that's got a life sentence wouldn't want to try to work out a deal. Uh, remember, he didn't testify in his trial, so he doesn't have a lot of baggage. He didn't commit perjury. He exercised his rights and went to trial. Maybe he has something, but I don't think so. I would have heard if if Garcia was going to give something against Charlie. Um, so I don't I don't know. I agree. Lawyers can be liked by the jurors, and lawyers can be hated by the jurors. And we've all seen the kind, both kinds. Jurors try to do the right thing. Now, if they hate the defendant, that's a little different. Or if they like the defendant, that goes a long way, too. But the lawyers, they know lawyers are just doing their job. But if they really like the defendant or they hate the defendant, that can have a major effect on how they vote. Tim, we got a super sticker from the verdict watch. Uh, How long do you think the trial is going to go on for? I think last time you said three weeks. Do you still stand by that? Well, Rashbaum said he had a week-long trial. I doubt that. That week-long trial might turn into a day, day and a half. That's what normally happens. So I don't think it's going to be three weeks. And I'll depend on some of these motion liminies too. So you're saying shorter than three weeks? Yes. Okay. Uh, Catherine, uh, John, this is for you. Uh, Interesting here uh, for, uh, you know, the constitutional right to invoke your Fifth Amendment here. I wonder how Charlie would react if his mother's answers on the stand to protect herself and Wendy helps bury him won't taking the fifth make them look bad. Uh, that's always an interesting um, juxtaposition. It's your constitutional right, but if you invoke your Fifth Amendment right, people look at you kind of funny, right, John? Yeah, but I'm trying to understand the question. Um, it's it's a little convoluted. Um, 
I think. I wonder uh, how Charlie would react if his mother. So presupposing his mother would take the witness stand and give testimony that were adverse. Um, I think Charlie. Yeah. Go ahead. Won't taking the fifth make them look bad, but isn't that inherently contradictory because I, I think they're basically saying um, yeah, if, if they get on the stand and they, you know, they have two options to bury Charlie or take the fifth. And if they take the fifth, is that going to backfire? Cause they took the fifth. Right. I, 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 I think it's, I think it's a, a very, it's a theoretical question because I don't think there's any chance they're going to call Donna. Um, she, the, the, they, you have to, separate and, and make a demarcation between Donna and Wendy. Wendy was needed for the motive. They, Donna is going to only be harmful to the prosecution. She's going to do whatever she can to protect Charlie, right? That's, I mean, it's, they're so close, the two of them. She's going to get up there and testify in a way that would be harmful to the prosecution. So there is no chance that I see of the prosecution calling her. Now, again, they have her listed, but as Tim pointed out from the get-go, that's just to preserve their right. But I think, I'm assuming we're all in accord here that there's no chance Donna's going to get up on the witness stand. Remember, the uh, government, the state cannot put a witness on the stand that they ethically know is going to take the Fifth Amendment. Right. And if the lawyer for Donna says, my client's going to invoke the Fifth, they might do it outside the jury, uh, but they're not going to do that in front of the jury. Yeah, the, the judge is not going to allow witnesses to take the fifth in front of the jury and create that sort of distraction and sideshow. That's not going to be allowed. Uh, Tim Jansen, tornado artist, wants you to tell John what you told Carl on the last show about uh, Rash Brown defending Donna and the Harvey conflict and get his take. So go for it. Ask John. What? Is that a question for me? Yes. Carl brought up about Rash Bomb defending Donna and Harvey conflict. I'm trying. Oh, because he apparently represented Donna and Harvey in the very initial stages of this investigation. Then he moved over and now is representing Charlie, which would be clearly a conflict. And it's not a waivable conflict because the government obviously would cut a deal with any of them to go against each other. So where does your allegiance lie? And it really can't lie with one individually. So you're conflicted off. And I think Carl brought it up that he didn't know why Georgia didn't bring it up and why, I guess, Rashbaum is allowed to represent. That's so confusing, Tim, because I thought you were the one that brought it up, but you're right, Carl brought it up. But, John, if you understand what we're saying. I do, I do. I I understand the question. I think that if if they had all been charged, right, if they were all defendants in this trial, then there would be an unwaivable conflict. But they're not. It's only Charlie on the witness stand. So it's only Charlie in the defense chair. So um, it it is a it may be considered an unwaivable conflict, but you don't have all the defendants or being a charge is only Charlie. Right. Mm. If Um, they were sitting at the right table, then they would be a conflict. Right. I agree with that. Uh, Moving on here. So uh, there's also a defense request for a juror questionnaire. Uh, and basically, Rashbaum says much of the media's coverage has been inflammatory, speculative. He's talking about us and at times blatantly untrue. I love you, Daniel Rashbaum. Don't come at me like that. Uh, to help ensure the selection of a fair and impartial jury, Mr. Adelson requests that the court permit use of the jury questionnaire attached as Exhibit A. 
Use of the attached questionnaire in connection with voir dire will help the court. Uh, it goes on. Tim, anything uh, catch your attention uh, about this uh, related to the jury questionnaire? And at the end, they talk about how they're not seeking a change of venue, at least not yet. Well, they're not allowed to seek a change of venue. Under Florida law, you have to at least try to pick a jury before you can get a change of venue. Uh, change of venue is not easy to get. Um, I think I had one. I know in federal court I had one. Very hard to get. This is a case I could get it because of publicity, years and years of this case permeating the, um, the airwaves and the community and the newspaper. You can see it's going to start all over again with the newspaper. Um, but not many people read the paper here anymore. Everything is online. So um, I didn't see anything that was crazy. I was actually looking for your podcast to be in here. It didn't identify your podcast. <laughs> it said podcast. But uh, I think it's pretty consistent. Um, I think that Rajbaum has a jury consultant. In fact, I know he does. Um, and that might be helpful on this. Um, you know, what I would do is I was him. I would. He didn't have a local lawyer, but I, I think he did some research on where the, the potential best jurors would be. And I think he recognizes that jurors he wants are the ones that don't want to be on the jury because everybody else, if you've got a guy that wants to get on that jury, there's a reason they want to get on. I like the people that don't want to be on because they don't have an agenda. But when you're picking a jury and I think John will tell you and Lori will tell you, you're just trying to get rid of the really bad ones. You don't have enough time. You don't get this juror list like a week ahead of time. Where you can do research. You, they stick out, they ring, they got a big yeah. they cross out cross. And then you got to count how many challenges you got to make sure you don't get stuck with that really bad one. It's in the third row that you can't have. That's what happened yeah. in jury selection. Uh, tornado artist Rashbound has been promoting STS on the record more than STS. Ha ha. Uh, the <laughs> COE put that up because she gets mad at me that we don't, uh, promote our show more, but, uh, you build it and they will come. And that's what we're doing. Uh, Shaquille O'Meal says, can Charlie help his lawyers pick jurors? Lori, do you know the answer to that? Well, generally defendants have some input on, on if they have strong feelings or, or have a, uh, a, a really gut feeling about a juror. Sure. they, uh, they're sitting right next to their lawyers and have input on their feelings about jurors. And that's certainly a, a, a reasonable thing to be doing when the jurors are going to be making decisions about you and your life. Uh, the defendant has a right to look up and say, they're not my peers. So, yeah. Uh, I love this. Someone's going after Tim. Now they're going after John wrong singer. If Charlie wants to flip, the conflict is still there because rash Brown represented the parents previously. It's unwaivable. I'd like to give you a chance to respond. John singer from the Georgetown law center. Trying to figure out if LJ is my wife because the, the skate, <laughs> it's like the second scathing comment. Um, and by the way, LJ has no right to call me singer. Um, uh, here's the, I think LJ, he or she is, is conflating topics. So if Charlie wanted to flip on the parents, Rashbaum would have a conflict at that point because he had represented the parents. So what does he do? Right. It's a conflict. That's a conflict for him. The question we asked last, the question that was posed last time when we were addressing it was whether or not the state 
could file a motion to disqualify Rashbaum because he had previously represented the parents. And the answer is it wouldn't be successful because all of the three Adelsons are not on trial. There's only one. So we're talking about what Rashbaum could do as a lawyer of his own volition and what the state could do. If Charlie went to Rashbaum and said, I want to flip on on Harvey and Donna, Rashbaum would have to recuse himself from the case and Charlie would have to get new counsel. So on one instance, we're talking about, we're talking about two different concepts here. LJ may not understand that, but you know, that's why we're here to explain it. By the way, John, it's definitely your wife. Uh, I love this. Singer is wiggling (laughs) yet again. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. This is is awesome. Um, Lori, someone just asked and I lost the comment. Um, Is this basically an impossible task for Daniel Rashbaum? Well, I I think defense attorneys often have impossible tasks, and we have to remember that it's not just about this case. It's about making sure that you have protected the constitutional rights of your client and that you have put the the prosecution to the test and made them put on their, their evidence and that you have upheld your obligation to zealously represent your clients. So, I I mean, yeah, uh, being a defense attorney is a thankless job and often an impossible job, but uh, we do it because it, it, it's bigger than all of us. And, and to make sure that our system operates for everyone, we have to make sure that our system operates for that individual. I'm kind of loving this. Sorry, John. Uh, LJ's back. Wrong singer. Rash has an ongoing obligation. <sighs> and then we've got Bonnie Lee Lopez weighing in, coming to your defense. It's attorney singer to you. <laughs> Stop showing you. Um, That's Mr. Uh, singer to you. Exactly. You know, I, it, it, I will just say this. It, 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 and I've said this before on the show, on the um, podcast. We're all, I think we're all on the same team in the sense that we all want justice for Dan Markell. We want Charlie Adelson convicted. I think everybody here who listens, who's followed this, want all the Adelsons um, to um, be brought to justice. Um, so I think we're all on the same team. Every now and then you get somebody who is um, unsophisticated and untrained, who feels the compunction to make ridiculous comments. So go ahead and do it, but you're wrong. And uh, that's it. What can I tell you? So Joel, I'll, I'll also say that these are the kind of conversations that happen at law conferences over ethics CLEs. So, you know, <laughs> reasonable true. minds can differ ab- about, um, and, and ethics is not a clear cut uh, discussion to have. So, um, you know, we can disagree and uh, ultimately Ultimately, our own consciences have to be our guides, too. Uh, John, just so you know, everyone is coming to your defense in the chat here. I I actually feel bad for LJ. Go ahead, Tim. So Charlie Adelson is entitled to a fair trial. We all know that. Every Adelson and everybody does. And when you represent unlikable people and horrific clients, you do it, as Clarence Darrow once said, I represent the rights of others to protect my rights. And as often as it is we take a unlikable client, we can't judge that person. We make sure the process, and if the process is done right, then the justice will be done. 
regardless of what the trickster lawyer does, justice is going to come out. And that's what our system is based on. Cross-adversarial system, jury of your peers, you put on your witnesses, you cross-examine, and then justice will be done. I think Daniel's got a really difficult case. It's a really high stressful case. Uh, it might be the most stressful case he's ever worked on. It's going to be on live TV. Lawyers can make and break their careers if they make a blunder or look foolish or do something completely incompetent. While at the same time, they're fighting for their clients' rights. They have to make objections and legal decisions, strategies. You might have a difficult client. It is not easy. And he's not trying to cheat the system. He's trying to live up to his obligation as a lawyer. And it's not easy. Well said, Tim Jansen. Just covered high-profile cases himself. Uh, since you're on a roll there, we talked about it, but just to get this out of the way, I uh, know we'll start to wrap up. What is a defense motion in limine, and what were they trying to do here with these Dolce Vita recordings? Well, what they're trying to tell the judge is you can't admit these documents. Keep these out because they're not relevant. They're not uh, clear. It'll confuse the jury. Uh, it's not complete. A juror might not have the context of the response. Too much parts of the tape are not there. You know, remember the co my cousin Vinny episode? He killed, I killed the sheriff. That was in response to the guy who says, you killed the sheriff. And he said, I killed the sheriff. Well, what if you kept out the context of the sheriff saying, you killed the sheriff? That would be a confession. And without that portion, the juror would be misled. What he's saying is there's portions on there, like about the I'm going to the airport. There was absolutely nothing, and then I'm going to the airport. No one knows the context of what that was said in. And a juror can mislead, or, and, and under an analysis of 403, is it fair for a jury to do that? I know John so, Yeah, I, I wanted to say that, that if you recall the Arthur hearing, for Charlie, the, the one piece of evidence that Rashbaum really honed in on was the airport comment from the Dolce Vita recording. And he's obviously concerned about it, as he should be, because it's a terrible uh, it's a terrible fact for Charlie. What he's argued in his motion in limine and, his mo and, and also in the motion to suppress is that the first 30 minutes of Dolce Vita could not be recovered, right? And then Charlie jumps into the airport comment, there's no context. And the other argument he makes is nothing that Magmanua said is audible. Right. So you're only getting a very skewed and select portion of Dolce Vita. And, and, you know, in Rashbaum's inimitable way, he says, I really respect Judge Wheeler, but he got this wrong, right? That he should have kept it out. I think they'll keep it in. The transcript was disappointing last time that, that Judge Wheeler kept that out because the transcript is super helpful. Now, I guess the jurors, you know, with their headphones and they were able to hear it. it it's hard. Some of that Dolce Vita recording is hard to hear. Mm -hmm. So I think Wheeler did sort of a, a, a split the baby approach. He let in the recording and he, and he kept out the transcript. I think that's probably going to be the ruling here too. But Rashbaum's argument is that certain portions are unrecoverable and you can't hear a word Magmanua said, so it's unreliable. Now, if the parties agree on the transcript, clearly will come in. Sometimes right. I've had judge right. has competing transcripts. This is the government's and this is defense's transcript. You listen and you make your choice, and this is only to help you. Right. Through. Mm. Uh, by the way, I need a lawyer. I want to sue my wife for uh, outright, 
outright lying here, the STS chief of everything. I avoid malls. Haven't had Orange Julius since I was 12. That might be true. She was in a mall last week. She's in a mall with my kids all the time. All the time. And next time, charge it to John Singer. I'm going to get his credit card number for you. Um, charge, John, charge it to LJ. Charge it to LJ. Yeah, LJ. Um, Singer, um, they're trying to keep out hearsay testimony from Jeffrey Lacoste, what they're calling hearsay yeah. testimony. No chance of that, I take it. That's, I mean, look, that that's tricky. Um, I wouldn't say that. That's, that's tricky. Um, and it's, it's a very powerful piece of evidence for the government. Jeff Lacoste testified that five days before the murder, Wendy had said in his kitchen in a chilling, non-jocular way that Charlie had looked into hiring a hitman in 2013 when the motion for relocation was denied. So that's powerful. Now, Charlie's statement, if Charlie made the statement to Wendy, Charlie is what you call, not getting too technical, a party opponent. So it's it's not hearsay. That, that statement from Charlie to Wendy would come in. But then there's the Wendy comment to Jeff Lacasse, and that is hearsay. Um, in the last two trials, and, and again, Tim alluded to this earlier, there weren't a lot of objections from the defense because, you know, they, they didn't care about some of this stuff. In fact, they wanted some of it to come in. But when they did make objections, the, the judges in both cases were very parsimonious with granting um, uh, objections. They, they were very, very uh, quick to overrule. So I don't know what they'll do with this one. I mean, I think there's an argument there. I don't think the June M. Chinda argument they made is going to hold water, and I can get into that if you want. But the Jeff Lacasse one, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what Laurie and, and Tim think about that. Hmm. Uh, by the way, I am not T-Pain real quick, says, I knew that the COE likes malls. I knew it. John, I got to put this up. You're not. You're going to hate me for this. LJ says, I'll buy you a new <laughs> toupee if I'm wrong singer. Oh. I already forgot what we were I already forgot what we were just talking about. But well, Laurie is is get see it's like the airport comment. It's out of context. I, I think LJ accused me of wearing a toupee, and my retort was, "I wear a better toupee. If I wear a, a toupee, it wouldn't have hair like this." I mean, so um, so you know, we'll get it. Oh, sometimes the government will try to get in hearsay statements under a, a co-conspirator hearsay. That's an 801 D2E, which is in furtherance of the conspiracy, as long as they're listed as co-conspirators. But then it's got to be in furtherance of the conspiracy. I'm not sure these comments are in furtherance of the conspiracy. I think that the government, the state, I mean, the judge might grant this because these are hearsay statements uh, by Lacasse or by Wendy. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a concern. Um, although the June and Chimda statement, I don't think is it's not hearsay because it wasn't being just to just to remind you, um, they're claiming June and Chimda testified that um, in the Adelson's apartment, Donna had come up to her and said, I feel like Dan is haunting uh, me from the grave. And that comment, you can argue, the state can certainly argue, was not being offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted. It's not hearsay. Um, but the the ones with with Wendy, what she told Jeff. That's incredibly powerful testimony, and, and that's concerning that they could keep that out. I think George is worried about that. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> Fancy Fiction says, LJ, be nice to John Singer. Uh, there was a tweet from the dude Lebowski, um, and it goes as follows, John Singer. There's no way the defense strategy, strategy is going to be to blame Wendy uh, and the mom. Same comment on the mom and dad actually testifying at the trial. That being said, what the hell else could the maestro strategy be besides throwing his family under the bus? That maybe Dolce Vita is unintelligible, LOL? Um, your great, response to that? It's a great question. I, I think that the likelihood of Charlie throwing any Adelson under the bus is, is very small. I think the defense will be twofold. It will be one. They'll in, try to um, undercut the credibility of the prosecution's witnesses and sort of deflect the jury that way. And they're going to have to come up with a theory here. And I think I, I thought from the beginning that the most plausible, and I don't believe this is what happened, but the most plausible theory to sell is, is that, that these hitmen were commissioned as part of a conspiracy to scare Dan, that they were going to scare him because he wasn't capitulating to the relocation request and they went up there to scare him. And these people are gangsters. And one of them is, is, you know, the, what is he, the president of the North Miami beach uh, division of the Latin Kings. And they took it a step further. They went, they, of their own, on their own, they took this scaring and bullying into a murder. Uh, that's, it's not what happened. They got to go with something though. Mm. Uh, Tim, real quick, uh, this motion limine is also asking, I guess, to eliminate the divorce filings. I assume that's not happening, and also a motion to suppress wiretaps. Uh, they're not going to get the wiretaps when uh, two other judges have granted, and Judge Hankinson was a very conservative judge. They tried to get it under being stale that the information was old, almost two years old, and that there was other ways, uh, less uh, ways to get the information. I don't see a judge overturning that at all. Um, the divorce, they're basically saying they have to prove that Charlie knew about the contents of the divorce. He knew about all that to prove the motive. It might have been Wendy's motive, but how is that relevant to Charlie's motive? So that'll be interesting. The society page says, look at the maestro's other strategies. He's not good at strategy, followed by Wesley John Holmes, named after a famous actor. Chuckle's best defense is start praying, loser. Uh, people here can be um, can be tough on you. So uh, this uh, panel, absolutely amazing. I love it. Love these people. Uh, you met Lori Hellis, the good Lori, we call her. Uh, during the Lori Vallow Daybell trial, she's an author and a retired criminal defense attorney. She was living in Arizona and retired to Boise to write this book. And now the weather's starting to get cold. But um, her book is titled Children of Darkness and Light, which is also the name of her YouTube channel. The blog is called The Lori Vallow Story. Um, Lori, are you going to come out to the trial? And uh, do you think this is a quote unquote slam dunk here for the state or is there a long road to hoe? Um, well, I, I think they have a good case at this point, as long as the wiretaps stay in and, and they get a couple of favorable rulings on some of the hearsay motions, I, I think they have a strong case. Uh, I'm not opposed to coming out to the trial. I don't know at this point whether that's going to work out because I'm on deadline for my current book. So, uh, but I, I've thought about coming out. 
We will see. Time will tell. If you're there, you'll be on our show live because we're going to be there. Uh, we will let you know the exact dates as we get closer. Uh, John Singer, um, he's actually going to watch the trial with LJ. He's co-founder of Singer <laughs> Deutsch LP, LLP, designated a super lawyer every year since uh, 19 BC, if that was a time, I don't know. Uh, Singer makes regular appearances as a legal analyst for CNBC and a gazillion other outlets. Bonnie Lee Lopez, best guest always. Love John Singer. Uh, John, um, do you have what are your what's your biggest worry about this trial ahead of the trial? Oh, I, I mean, I think the the biggest worry I have is is not on Dolce Vita and is not on the wiretaps. It's it's really on some of these hearsay objections because you, I can't emphasize enough to you how powerful Jeff Lacasse's testimony was in, in the in the prior two trials. It, it really did, in my view, um, put Charlie right there. And and I think that if the defense starts winning some of those objections, then you know it could be a problem. The other fear I have is that the government slips up and makes a mistake and calls Magmanua because I don't think they will. They're smart prosecutors. They tried two very good cases. The last two, I'm sure they've tried gazillions of others, but I'm only focused on this case. Um, but, you know, any sort of strategic blunder like that, um, aside from that, I think that the prosecution's got a great case. You never know with jurors, though. You saw what happened in the Magmanua case, the first one. One juror just couldn't conceive of um, finding, a, a, finding a guilty verdict for a mom who had two small children. The evidence didn't matter to that person. What mattered was just the optics of sending somebody away with two small children. You can always get a juror like that. And you just don't know. I mean, and in, in, you can have an extensive questionnaire. You can do a very, very thorough voir dire. You can think you know the person. And at the end of the day, they may be harboring these feelings about anti-government or whatever it is that they have. So it's always that rogue juror that's the biggest fear. Only takes one. And in Florida, as we know, anything can happen in this state. Yep. Uh, famed Tallahassee defense attorney R. Timothy Jansen, a partner in the firm that bears his name, Jansen and Davis. Uh, he's handled every imaginable legal case you could possibly think of. He also spent five years as a federal prosecutor. And 10, before you give us your closing thoughts, Sonny Tanner would like you to remind anyone who is thinking of coming to check out the Charlie Adelson trial in person about FSU football and how it takes precedence and how you cannot get a hotel room because of it does. Football. And I'm just looking at the schedule. Hmm, October look at that. 21st. While you're looking at that schedule, tornado artist says I'll hold singers hairpiece during the trial. <laughs> That's counselor singer to you. Go ahead. Tim. Oh. So Duke who's undefeated right now is coming to Tallahassee, October 21st. That'll hmm. be on a Saturday. Then Florida state on the 28th plays at wake. Then they play November 4th at Pittsburgh. And then you better hope the trial is done before November 11th because those bad Miami hurricanes are coming up here. Yeah, baby, I'll undefeated. And that will fill all the hotels. I'm a, I'm, I'm a U gets, fan by default now. It usually gets me quite a bit of work, that UM-FSU game. <laughs> every year. Every year. Um, Tim Jansen, is uh, Charlie Adelson going to be convicted after two or three weeks of this trial? I don't think it's a slam dunk like everybody thinks. 
Um, I think the state's going to have some good and bad rulings, uh, just like any trial. I think Rashbaum will be a little more controlled and likable. He'll make his points. He's had the advantage of watching two trials and transcripts. He knows what these witnesses are going to say. So if he's, he uses his scalpel instead of his sword, he can make some really good points. And, and I say and, if his client does well on the stand, can he hold up on cross? Because you can lose your case no matter what he does, how his client testifies will make or break him. Uh, I am not T-Pain trying to rile me up. Who needs News Nation or Core TV when you got STS? I won't even throw those two under the uh, bus because I'm on Core TV now. I'm uh, going to be on every other week uh, with Julie Grant, so thank you to her. However, if you're watching the, the CNN, I still can't get over the fact that someone went to a marketing meeting and said, let's call it the Cable News Network, and someone was like, wow, that's a really original <laughs> name. Let's go with that. Um, if you're watching that, you're watching MSNBC, you're probably in a nursing home. You got to be watching STS. Don't watch that stuff. Um, there was a comment here I wanted to pull up. Someone said, I'm going to attend. Sonny Tanner says, I'm going to attend. Uh, I am not T-Pain says, I am throwing them under the bus over here. Uh, quick programming note, tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Great Scott, your true crime fill with FBI uh, retired agent Scott Duffy and America's most respected detective, Phil Waters. Believe it or not, the BTK serial killer is writing to the media again. We're going to dissect <clears throat> what he wrote to a local Fox station. And then Monday night, a very important uh, show uh, Rachel Morin, uh, we're going to have her attorney on, the family's attorney. She's no longer with us and a family member and one of her best friends. So please check out. That will be a special episode on Monday night. And Tuesday night, we're looking at there's like a thousand kids that have gone missing in the state of Ohio. Why? We're going to examine that with a detective from Akron, Ohio. So those are the next couple of shows. Until then. Love you, America. Love you, Tallahassee. Pam the Cake says good night and thank you, everyone. Pick up Root's book, The Unveiling. It will break your heart and inspire you at the same time. Love you, Boise. Love you, Boston and New York City. LJ just called John Singer a traitor. Until then, love you, America. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, 
and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.